Welcome to VR in Education. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR in Education. In today's episode, we're talking about cooperative learning and something called asymmetrical VR gaming. We often see VR as this single, solitary experience because the user dons their headset or HMD and they leave the world behind them. Yet there's a growing number of VR applications that rely on single VR participants who then work with a group of people outside of the VR headset to form this cooperative team. So in today's episode, we are so lucky and fortunate to have Ilan Sayag, who's the CEO of Freaks United, a company who just recently developed this really new and exciting asymmetrical VR game called Do You Copy? Welcome to the show, Alan. Hey, hey, Craig. Thanks for having me. You know, I always open up with an origin story. So what got you interested and excited about VR and then, more importantly, gaming? Uh, well, uh, that's an interesting question. I mean, I started with uh, VR as a whole in about uh, six years ago. I, 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 I put my first uh, HMD, head-mounted display, uh, uh, in uh, Tel Aviv, in Israel, in a, in a VR arcade. And uh, ever since then, I just loved the technology and what could be done with it. So I decided, even though I didn't have any prior formation in technical or artistical uh, uh, field, I decided to try and make a VR game myself. So in Montreal, I started researching about developing and art and designing and illustrating. And that's how last year, with a team that we put together over the years, we managed to start working on Do You Copy, which is our first VR game ever as a studio. That's pretty amazing. So did you have to learn Unity or Unreal Engine or some gaming engine like from scratch, or did you have some previous experience on that? Well, no, I, I definitely didn't have a, a prior experience on that. Uh, I um, I had to learn the basics, uh, basically. I, I, in Freaks United, I'm what they call a, a, a creative director. So my job is basically to <clears throat> guide everyone and just give the general direction as to where this game is going, artistically speaking, design speaking, and development, development speaking. Uh, but I, but I'm, but I'm not alone. So I have a, a lot of help coming from the other developer, the other artist, the other designers. So the field I really concentrate about was once I learned the basics, I uh, started following um, kind of a training with a, a few game designers, friend of mine, that really taught me how to be a game designer, and that's mainly my position in Freaks United. So just for the people that doesn't know what game design is, it's basically the, the 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 design of the process behind what makes a game fun so what they call the mechanics uh, which then are translated into features 
And so, you know, what makes a game fun is how it's designed and how it rewards the player for an action. And, uh, and that's what I chose to focus on. Tell us a bit more about, I love the name, by the way, Do You Copy? <laughs> Tell you. us a bit more about the game. Like, how did you come up with the name? What's the overall premise behind it? Um, yeah. So for Do You Copy, uh, it was, bef- so it was during 2020. Uh, I was I was in the um, in so I, I live in France at the moment and during March of 2020 there was this you know there is a coronavirus pandemic obviously but there was this uh, lockdown that was installed and it was really really harsh and I was talking with a friend during around April saying well that would be great if uh, I could get out of here <laughs> and so <laughs> we decided to talk and go into this kind of far-fetched scenario as to how we would avoid lockdown and everybody but it created the sense of well you know we have good ideas for escape rooms and we started by designing a totally different game called jailbreak uh and it was basically a cat and ma- a cat a cat and mouse game where you had one prisoner trying to evade the prison and a warden who would be on the on the tablet computer phone trying to catch him and since we didn't know anything about how to make a video game from scratch, we joined a, a video game incubator in France who basically laughed a little bit at the pitch but said that we had the good energy but just not pointed toward the right direction. And and that's how we came up with Do You Copy? And the, the name stemmed from we're, 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 what we're really making at the moment is a communication game. And we thought about what people do say to each other when they try to communicate in a clear manner uh, a piece of information. And do you copy it just stepped up uh, because at the moment you can, the game of do you copy is, rob, is uh, hi, uh, making a heist of a, a bank heist, basically. But we are totally open to different scenarios and different environments where the communication between one and, and more players uh, can be can be found. So, do you copy? F- looked like a solid base for that. I alluded to this in the beginning of the show, and that was the notion of this term, asymmetrical cooperative games. What yeah. made you pick that genre for your game? Um, the social aspect of it, because because I'm a big fan of video games. But in the sense of the experience that it provided me was mostly when I was playing with other people in the same room. So I'm a big fan of catch, couch go co-op, a cooperative gaming, Mario Party or you know, competitive Mario Kart, stuff like that. And asymmetrical gaming was, was a, a no-brainer because I was looking, since my previous formation is type more business-oriented, first thing I looked at was what type of game were, were made and what type of social game were being made. And most importantly, when I was looking at the charts in the Steam, uh, 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 you know, in the Steam uh, sales chart about what multiplayer game were being sold the most, I had Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes. And I had, uh, well, at the moment we have Phasmophobia, which is also asymmetrical. And it's like, wow, this this genre is really, really appreciated, yet there's not many games like this. And I tried both, and I love them both. 
and asymmetrical was just a no-brainer because VR should be accessible. And I'm not, you know, I know that VR has its problems at the moment for mass adoption, but it doesn't mean that you can't enjoy an immersive experience with someone if you don't put a VR headset. And that's why asymmetrical was key to, to it, either to introduce VR to someone just to play with someone who loves it and still be part of a gaming experience. Well said, Alan. So I had a chance to play uh, Do You Copy, which I believe is still in what we might call beta version. And yep. kind of like you, I'm a big fan of this genre and uh, I bring <coughs> VR to schools. So I've taught at several schools where uh, I was champion championing VR so I've done, as you alluded to, I've played Keep Talking and No One Explodes with students as well as with myself. I've tried Akron, Attack of the Squirrels. There's mm-hmm. Space Team VR. And then I've also yeah. tried Black Hat Cooperative. Yep. And one thing that I really loved that I believe, especially for teachers or educators, that you guys did a great job is the hacker guide that you developed. Because for a teacher... You want to be crystal clear if you're going to deploy this to a number of students in your classroom, how it's played so that, you know, if you only have a 30 or 40 minute class that we can get going on the game right away. And so you guys did a brilliant job of sort of outlining how to play this game so that there was less friction when we deploy it to students. So kudos to the hacker guide and even just some of the instructions that you gave. Thank you. Thank you, thank you very much. It means a lot because we we spent a lot of time figuring out if we should do a hack guide at all. And I knew that there was a lot of mechanics in this game. There's a lot of explaining to do. And if we want to make a good communication game, then we must put the players in a condition where they can't really blame the game if it goes wrong. But instead, you know, go into uh, you know being a little bit more introspective. And seeing, well, how can I improve my communication? So we were trying to make the game as a way of, of showing people how where they're good at when communicating and where there might be work to be done a little bit. So so Hacker Guide, I, I, I have to be honest, I didn't know that there was going to be this use case for universities right away. I always thought that since it's an early access, um, maybe I could we could still polish it a little bit more until getting it out there for education purposes. But it turns out that in the past three months, I've had a, f- a few educators telling me that they were using their game into the classes. And it's and it's incredible because in, in addition of providing entertainment, you're actually leaving them with something, uh, you know, with, with a skill to be enforced or at least a... a, a you know, just a, a pleasant uh, experience while they're gaming. And it's just, I don't know, it's uh, it's very flattering. Yeah, and then the other thing to layer that is you provide, you know, a tutorial. <coughs> and the hard mm-hmm. thing about game design is, you know, finding this delicate balance between not making it too easy and, of course, not making it too hard and, the feedback I got from my students as well as just my own personal observations is that first level, the tutorial was kind of just right. It was, uh, you know, it wasn't so simple that people said, you know what, this is just going to be way too easy or too simplistic, you know, and then they get out of the game right away. It was sort of just a beautiful balance of 
walking people through some of the mechanics, getting them sort of comfortable before they dive into what you guys call several chapters within the game. Mm -hmm. And speaking, and so those chapters, there's, I can't remember how many, maybe you can tell us, how are they slightly different um, than each other? uh, There's, at the moment, there's, um, there's eight chapter and nine that's going to be pushed by uh, Monday. And we're planning on releasing a total of 12 chapters for the final version. Uh, In, in, in regards to, um, well, for, first the tutorial. Indeed, you're right. It doesn't say too much. It doesn't say not enough. But again, it really depends on the typology of players that you're gonna that you're gonna have. Some players don't like to read the hacker guide, and they just want something very linear so that they can start, um, you know, uh, trying to beat the game as instead of winning it. And 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 it's and that's fine too. So in order to appeal to everybody and trying to make sure that everybody gets what they paid for, let's say it like that. Uh, we're remaking a tutorial as well, which is optional. The old one will still be there. Uh, and basically that tutorial will be way more linear, but it's only an opt-in. Uh, it, it's definitely not an option that is uh, mandatory. And in regards to what chapter has differently with each other, uh, well, you, would, you will notice that, well, I hope players notice that uh, each chapter brings a little, something a little bit different to the table. Uh, and usually we try to introduce one mechanic, like one feature per chapter. For instance, uh, when you get to chapter five, well, you start playing a mini game with a retinal scanner. And then in chapter six, you have that same mini game, but a little bit harder because you already played it in level five. And another hacker ability, for instance. And so you're kind of discovering what both players can do up until the very end when there's like this big surprise, there's like a lot of surprises. Uh, but 12 chapters is just the beginning. I hope to make much, much more because um, replayability, it's um, it's a very, it's a challenge for this type of games. The, the other feature that just to give you feedback that I got from my students was yep. that they really seem to love the fact that there was no sort of time clock in the tutorial anyway. So they they Mm -hmm. liked that the antagonist obviously was the cop, you know, and that the cop can get you and so on. But most of the kids that, and it would be about, I've played it with about 50 kids. I would say (laughs) overwhelmingly, most of them would say they liked that the time wasn't ticking away to a point where if they didn't get through a particular room and, and whatnot, that, the game was over because the time ticked down to zero. So mm-hmm. that, that's uh, something that a lot of, uh, you know, trial and error and learning to, you know, basically learn from your mistakes. Kids hate being, you know, forced on the clock on that. So that was a great feature from the perspective of some of the players I talked to. Well, thank you. Uh, it's uh, it's great feedback, honestly, because uh, I've, uh, I've never been able to, gather as much feedback from educators and I mean, not enough in my opinion uh, and, and, and what they achieve in the classroom. And it's great to hear that because it's, um, it's, it's, it was a vision from the get go, not to do a simple die and retry basically. That's why at some point we introduced checkpoints so that people could go back as to where they were instead of just going back all the way, all the way down. Um, but in order for this game to be as accessible as possible and making sure it reaches a, 
a broader audience, we really tried to give the player any options they wanted uh, depending on what they were in for. So if they were buying this game in the in the um, in the sense that they wanted to just have a fun party game to play with, you know, not not too much stress, just something a, a fun communication game, very light, then they could get that out of the U copy. But then you also have players were what we called um, try harders was really trying to beat the game and not just win it. They really want to do the best time with the best challenges and, and, and that adds to replayability as well. So we're also developing difficulty options so that no matter what you get into the copy for, you still get out something. You still get something out of it when you're when you're out of the headset. But I appreciate the feedback. It's uh, it's great to hear it uh, alive. <laughs> yeah. There's several reasons why a teacher or an educator or a school would warm up and love this game. And one is, and you alluded to this already, it teaches students and adults for that matter, effective two-way communication. And schools especially are starting to realize that they can't just teach facts and knowledge. They've got to start to practice what we might call 21st century soft skills. So when Mm -hmm. we play this game, as it's come out already in our conversation, there's a thief who's donning the VR headset, and then there's what you guys deem a hacker who's outside of VR, and they're usually on their phone or on the computer, and they have different abilities to be able to see certain things that the person inside VR can't see. And it's this delicate dance between the two communicating back and forth. What are some things you've seen or some tips that you would give people who are playing that delicate dance of effective two-way communication? Um, well, the tips I would give people, well, it depends on the typology of players, but I would say if you're getting into do copy for the first time, um, make sure that, first of all, you're taking your time, not doing it on the rush because communication is difficult enough as it is, and and the game will never stress you out in any way. But if you're going into it uh, extremely excited and extremely um, you know, uh, agitated, uh, you might not get exactly what you what what you what you want to do your copy for. So, uh, I guess one of the tips also I would give is to, for the players to at some point, if you're getting stuck somewhere, is to switch. Uh, try to switch the view with the other player and see what the other player was actually seeing. And then you would see a little bit, and, and then you would notice what were the informations that were not being uh, uh, tr- communicated to one another. And so it will instantly help you first be more empathetic towards the other player and actually putting themselves into their shoes. And once you're solving a puzzle, it's going to be much more easier knowing what area you need to focus on uh, during the communication, uh, and and that would be the tips I would uh, the tip I would uh, I would give to players, and um, yeah, mostly mostly the, the the game is pretty much um, I wouldn't have any strategies per se. There's multiple ways to finish a level just to um, test out the communication, and I think the good thing about this game is, like you said, it's not necessarily taking the player by hand and explaining everything that they need to do. Uh, because it, it totally res- limits, uh, uh, um, I believe, their, their 
their ability to think by themselves and 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 try to figure out a solution. Uh, and and so the copy is is really that I think. Try it's a bit of trial and error, but it's not. It shouldn't be frustrating, and you should go into it with a clear head. You talked about escape rooms earlier on too, yeah. and I I love that uh, reference because that's the second reason why I think this game is brilliant for teaching and educators is being problem solvers through puzzles and solving puzzles is again mm-hmm. additionally an important skill that we need to teach students and for that matter adults too and so that was a great element that you put into this game is it's all about solving these little puzzles along the way as you try and get to your goal which is you know to unlock the safe or whatever and so some examples just for the listeners of just within the tutorial things that students had to do to make connections you had to you know decode a keypad with the help of uh, a, a scanner you had to rewire an electrical box again with the help of the hacker who's outside of the VR. So as creative director, where did you come up with all these neat ideas for these puzzles? Um, That's a that's a great question. Um, It stems from the fact that as like I played a lot of escape rooms uh, in France. I, I love doing escape room with friends. And so I always try to pay attention to how they how they do it basically like their their mechanics let's say and one of the way that i saw was for instance the 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 wire mini game well let's say the first puzzle we ever did was the keypad so you had visual cues as to what the player were seeing and so they have um uh, let's say marks markers on how to communicate these shapes and, and numbers to the other player but the 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 the, the wire mini game it's completely different. Uh, you have a pattern, so you have something to look at, but you have no idea how to uh, effectively tell the position of how this pattern is formed. Like you don't, you have no effective way of telling. Well, you know, this uh, goes here and this goes there because there's no um, there's no notes or markers into it. And so the wire minigame is something that is different from the keypad. And how I came up with these ideas is mostly by trial and error uh, with based on what I saw in escape rooms and other games. Uh, for instance, the, the keypad at the beginning, uh, it's for, for those who, who those who are hearing and maybe have not seen, the goal of the keypad is that the thief sees a keypad with runic symbols on it that are attached to numbers. So this is a four-code keypad. And the goal of the thief is to try to uh, describe these runic, these runes to the hacker who now has to input the runes and the numbers into his program so that he can crack the code. Uh, The difficulty is that runic alphabet is pretty similar from one letter to another, or at least there are shapes that are kind of complex to describe. And so the hacker has a way to uh, mistake, to make a mistake. But at the beginning, the keypad was you see fingerprints on numbers and then the hacker had to do some kind of, um, uh, let's say, uh, logical deduction as to where these numbers were going to be in in terms of position. Like uh, with number two will be in the second position or in the third position. And since they were like mathematical symbol, people assumed that it was equations and algebra. 
and it was really confusing a lot of people, mm-hmm. uh, even though it, it was not exactly that. So, so we we changed it, and how and it took the form as as you played it uh, uh, when you played it. But I also like how you also have uh, virtual tools that add another element to some of these puzzles. So, for example, the electrical box, you need to get the pliers, the, you know, the retinal scanner, you need uh, another tool. And so that adds a whole Mm -hmm. extra layer that I saw my students anyway enjoy. You know, there were times where they dropped their asset and had to go back and get it. And so it's just a whole, (laughs) it's just a a brilliant level of getting sort of puzzle making to a whole new level. So great job. Thank you. Thank you guys decided to release this game in what might be deemed beta version, which in my humble opinion, takes a lot of courage because, you know, you, you often open yourself up to criticisms because it may not be 100% polished yet. So what were your thoughts there and what, what are the benefits and drawbacks to releasing a game in maybe what's called beta version? Um, another great question. Um, <laughs> these are great, by the way, because <laughs> it's, uh, it, it, it forces me to go a little bit back and, and seeing, well, with, in hindsight, here's A and B. Uh, but in hindsight, the benefits of, of releasing it... Uh, um, Early, let's say, uh, and it's and it and it's and can be applied to video games in general, like independent video games in general. Uh, the benefits would be that first you get early user feedback, which at the moment I believe that any independent video game that tries to uh, that tries to be a success or at least it tries to make it, you know, will always listen to the players. So you need to find these few patient and brave users that are willing to test out a game that is not fully finished and give you feedback on it, which is infinitely precious. So the, the, the benefits of that is that you're, request, you're, you're gathering early user feedback, you're, you're combating your biases, you're really actually getting your mind blown a little bit sometimes because uh, you know some of the hypotheses that you previously had when you designed it turns out to be completely wrong. And so the benefits of that is truly uh, early early user feedback. Sometimes a little bit of uh, funds to keep you going, because when it's at a early access state, which is the state it's in right now, it means that it's payable. That not all the features are there yet, but it's you still get something for a, a discounted price. Um, and also, well, it allows you also to polish the game before making it. Um, before making it available to everyone, or at least to making it as a final version, and so it's it's uh, it's pretty uh, pretty interesting in that way. However, in the in the drawbacks, it's uh, it's it can be it can be a, it can take a toll because as a as a development studio, you never know if where you're going it's the right direction. You're always doubting yourself, doubting you know what type of player is are the players going to like this or not. And sometimes um, you get some very harsh feedback on features that you might have spent uh, days or weeks working on or polishing, and uh, it can be it can be crushing, especially for developers and artists when when they or even designers when they they see the work being a little bit 
uh, scrutinized and, and, and torn apart a little bit, uh, it's, uh, it's, it can be very hard to, to get back up from that. Uh, however, it's always important to take a, a more um, uh, open stance as to these criticism and think that, well, if, if, if you have negative reviews, it's because people actually care. Uh, and it's just, uh, and, and, you know, if they didn't care, they wouldn't say anything or they're just don't do constructive criticism. So the drawbacks of it is sometimes the negative reviews. It's sometimes trying to please the players that are waiting and sometimes give you their money um, just so that, you, you know, you can have something ready for them in time. So you you also add an extra layer of pressure for players' expectation. And um, the final drawbacks of releasing it early, well, video games are, are, are a tough industry and, and you do have second chances, but they mostly gamers never forget. So when you, when you do something that the players deem um, not correct or not, uh, not respecting their expectation, uh, then, you, then sometimes you can get uh, pushed back. Uh, and, and in, a, in a very strong way, and it's always difficult to climb back uh, to climb back the, the ladder. But that that would I would say that these are the drawbacks and the, and benefits. Yeah, especially you know I find it a tricky business in regards to the five star or sometimes they use four star rating systems because you know you you uh, hit the nail on the head. Some feedback may not necessarily be warranted. So, you know, I look at, for example, on the Oculus store, sometimes some of the reasons why someone gives a one star as opposed to a four or five star. And you oh, know, yeah. I had played the game before and I would say that, you know, maybe that was an unwarranted criticism. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the danger to the star system is that, you know, people rely on it too much and they look and they're like, oh, only three stars, no thank you, yeah. without even giving the game a chance, right? <laughs> well, you do, yeah, because you have a lot of options out there. I mean, you know, if, if you have a few seconds to take a decision, well, you have to take you know, these variables into account and just process it very quickly. But that's because people want to be entertained more quicker and just, you know, not, not really go too much into research mode and just try some, have something fun to play. So reviews are usually the first thing they look at. But yeah, yeah, the star system, I completely agree with you. Plus, you, you have to, you know, you, you, this game is a little bit particular because, first of all, it requires two players to be played. So you have twice the variable that can go wrong whenever they mm. try to connect. And the second is that it's a communication game. And when you're confronting players with, I wouldn't say shortcomings, but when they're, you're, you're confronting players to sometimes dysfunctional communication, well, there is two things that can happen. Either they realize that, you know, their communication could be better or they blame the game. And that's our goal is that to make sure that the game gives all the tools for players to communicate and that if they, the mission is not a success, then they couldn't be, you know, the, the blame would, the game wouldn't be to blame. And, uh, and so sometimes you get very negative reviews because people get into fights <laughs> and and it's and you're like well, uh, I'm sorry it happened. Obviously, it's not the goal, uh, but if the game gives you everything that 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 we promised, and that you agreed to that, then I don't see why that's a bad game necessarily. But you know, 
obviously we're always trying to do better and I, and we listen to every feedback extremely careful. So we always try to measure where they come from and what happened during their experience that made them write or say uh, these commentaries. Good for you. And that is such a good point, Alan, is the, the whole idea, you know, is it, is it the players that are at fault here or <laughs> is it the game? No. Um, can you give me one example of amazing feedback that you got from a player or a group of people either on, on your Discord channel that you have set up or some other avenue that helped you iterate your game? Um, an amazing feedback that someone gave us. Um, well, I would say a good, amazing feedback. Yeah, so, okay. So at the beginning, and this is actually, I think, one of the major features that changed the entire trajectory of the game. Um, one of the earliest feedback we got was, well, I, I you know, they know this game is a bit complicated, uh, um, in, in terms of communication sometimes. And and what they what players were requesting is that they couldn't understand why sometimes they were in a room and the guard was so far away. And in theory they could be seen. The player should be seen by the guard, but the game didn't, you know, didn't catch it on because it would be too difficult. And these are the problem with uh, with um, with uh, infiltration and in, and in, in, uh, stealth gaming. And we said, well, the problem is if we make the guard have have a view distance infinite, then it, it's extremely difficult to design levels that are like that doesn't look uh, the same and, and doesn't put the players in the same situations. And so we introduce this thing called the suspicion mechanic, yeah. uh, where basically every time the player does a mistake, like putting a wrong keypad or miss rewiring uh, the, the, the the wire panel or even tripping on a laser, then instead of being an instant game over, we said, well, you know what, let's just put a suspicion level. And every time you do a mistake, that suspicion goes up, like the guards would notice that something is wrong. And if it gets to 100, then you, then it's game over. And in addition to that, and that was the biggest changes, we added a suspicion zone. So at the moment, the guards have a field of view um, a, a fixed field of view, which is represented by a red uh, kind of triangle. Uh, and if the player passes on that red zone, then it's 100 suspicion, instant mm-hmm. kill, let's say. However, we added also a blue zone, which goes further beyond the, the red one, where it would be as to, well, the guard kind of sees something pass through and not sure it is, so it raises its suspicion a little bit. And that's where the suspicion bar came in comes in and then you said oh yeah i pass into the blue line I didn't get into the red zone but i think he saw me so careful because our suspicion just went up and if we do some more mistakes like this then you know we get caught and that was one that the player requested the most is a gradual difficulty and suspicion and and, and not being so hard on the players as to well if i get you know, if i get seen and then it's entirely game over if i trip on a laser it's game over so that was the biggest that was the biggest feedback we got and some of my more astute students started mm-hmm. to pick up on that mechanic right away. Some of my less astute students had no idea. And again, keep mm-hmm. in mind, they only, they only played the tutorial. I'm sure after a few levels they would have, but it was neat. I had some really strong, smart kids who 
picked up on that right away and started using that. And then, of course, some mm-hmm. of the ones that were either new to gaming or VR weren't quite yet sure how to use that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm mindful of time. So is there anything left unsaid that you maybe feel the audience might want to hear in regards to the game? Uh, well, um, left unsaid, no. I mean, the, the, we, we, covered a, we covered a good amount, but uh, I would say... Um, I would love for the audience to 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 hear that uh, do you copy is is um, still a work in progress. It's not finished yet, and that for every person that is writing their feedback, whether it's negative or positive, as long as it's constructive, that I wanted to thank them a, a great deal because uh, we listen very carefully to this, and every time we we see a feedback, we're extremely uh, the team is extremely enthusiastic because uh, enthusiastic because. We feel like we're actually doing something that it gives value to 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 players, and there's nothing that gives us more makes us more proud than this. So the only thing unsaid that they they might want to know is that we listen to feedback extremely carefully. We're always ready to discuss and 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 gather ideas and and listen to what you have to say, uh, because the, that game is not for us. It's it's uh, it's it's for everybody that wants to play a good communication game. It's for everyone. So uh, there is a lot of surprises coming in the Ucopy. Uh, we're we're trying to add as much content as we can and as fast as we can. And I think that uh, virtual reality has a, a good days uh, in the following years uh, if if more people and uh, would get into it and start trying these type of communication game, you know, as an introduction uh, to, to this medium. And I want to add to that to say, you know, one of the criticisms for people who are educators and new to VR is they, they balk initially saying, well, there's not enough VR content for teachers and educators, but the, the issue for people who say that is a lack of understanding. I think VR's mm-hmm. superpowers are games like what you're developing, where there's a more holistic learning outcome attached to the game. Like how do we build, you know, systems thinking into kids or how do we help yeah. them build their communication skills? So kudos to you guys, because again, this is a great game for schools. Thanks, thanks for playing our game. Thanks, thanks for the great feedback. Uh, um, I was really pleasantly surprised to hear that uh, to 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 get in touch with you and talk about this because it's, uh, it's I feel it's a really interesting subject. Yes. Uh, how could people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more or mm-hmm. buying the game, etc.? Yeah, um, they can they can start by visiting our website. It's three uh, w uh, that fugamestudio.com fu for friction added obviously mm-hmm. and uh, and there is um you can also join our discord chat discord um, server which is a community server where everybody throws their ideas give feedback just post uh you know runs of, of what they did and uh and that's how we can how you can get a hold of us it's, uh, mostly or send us an email info at fugamestudio.com uh, if they're interested, if educators are just interested in either learning more about the game or just how they can use VR in the classroom, uh, and and you know trying to get some advice on this, uh, we're happily 
help out uh, because we're trying to push the medium forward. And the more people in, in VR, the, the better for the, the whole industry, right? Absolutely. Alan, thanks so much for coming on the show. And uh, I look forward to talking to you briefly after the recording. Thank you. Thank you so much, Craig.